is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things, and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among, among them are Hymenus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord who knows the Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone whose name is the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in, in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set aside as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I do thank you, Lord, that we have a firm foundation to stand on, Lord. Your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord, no matter the wind or the waves, the chaos, Lord, they won't prevail. And Father, I pray that we would be a people that would seek first your kingdom, Lord, that we would pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, Lord. I pray your anointing on Jackie this morning, that he would rightly divide and handle your word of truth, Lord. I pray that you would be glorified and magnified wherever we are and wherever we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we continue our journey through Second Timothy. Paul's uh, swan song, his final words to his uh, son in the spirit, Timothy, to encourage him to pass the baton of ministry on to the next generation. It's so vital 
that we as, uh, as an older generation, I can't believe I'm saying that, uh, remember to pass on the baton. We should be looking for that opportunity to raise up the next generation and encourage them and equip them to be the things God wants them to be. And here in this letter, this is exactly what, what Paul is telling Timothy. Look, uh, my days are short. I'm going to leave this earth. And so my, my final words to you, my son in the spirit, here he lays out for us. And, and there's some important things for us to glean here in this section of scripture. We're going to be focusing in on verses 14 to 26, but I wanted you to hear the whole context of the chapter as we continue to move forward. He's going to focus in with Timothy now to encourage him on what is it, what does it mean to be the Lord's servant. How can we be the Lord's servant? Well, there's three things I think he focuses in on on this uh, second half of the chapter, and that is that we need to have the right method, and we need to follow the right guide, and we need to have the right focus. And so he wants Timothy to understand these things because it's so easy to get distracted. One of the things that really marks our time, especially in the issues where we have differences of opinion, one of the things that kind of marks our time is that our arguments tend to be emotionally driven. And as soon as we are emotionally driven, uh, our IQ drops tremendously. We find ourselves yelling or screaming or hollering, shaking fists, uh, hitting one another with bike locks, whatever the case might be. And we've degraded from the ability to have discourse with one another to a place where we are following just babbling. And it's this is what Paul is going to challenge us with. So the first thing we want to focus in on is this idea we need to have the right method. Well, what's the right method look like? Well, he says in in verse 14, he says, remind them of these things. Now, what things? The things he talked about in the first half of the chapter, being focused on the things that matter. In fact, we'll see the idea of the resurrection come up as one of the issues that was a struggle for the false teachers there in Ephesus. But he says, remind them of these things. Remind them of the pattern of sound words that Paul had delivered to Timothy. Hold fast to solid doctrine. This is important. You see, the, the Christian faith is not a faith of laziness. And sometimes I hear this uh, but with Christian brothers and sisters. We, we have the idea, and, uh, uh, so I don't want to disparage what the Word of God is saying, but some people will say to, to uh, excuse their laziness, well, the Holy Spirit will give me understanding, so I don't need anything else. And that's not what the Word of God teaches. The Word of God teaches us to, to work diligently at comprehending the Word of God, not lazily. Not just to assume whatever ideas are in my head were breathed there by the Holy Spirit. Uh, I don't know about you. I don't know about you guys at home, but I also know that, that every thought I've ever had when I've read the Bible has not been correct. I needed to be a good student of the word of God, not lazy. Remind them of solid doctrine. Take the time to understand and comprehend the things that you believe. Because the reason why we see so much weakness within the church often today is because we don't want to hold fast to solid doctrine. We don't want to dig our teeth in. We don't want to sit down and, and be, uh, 
overwhelmed and spend the time necessary to really comprehend the deep things of God. And so we continue to wallow in our sin. We continue to, to excuse uh, uh, our attitudes that we ought to have repented of had we spent time being immersed in God's word. Timothy says, remind them of the things that matter. Remind them of the things that we want to hold fast to. And then charge them before God. Now this is an imperative, right? This is a, a command. Look, charge them before God. Not to quarrel about words. Now, here's one of those things where I say people ought not to be lazy. Because a lot of people will come to this phrase and say, well, we don't really need to do word studies. And we don't need to understand the Greek and the Hebrew. And we shouldn't argue uh, over over what these things mean and, and, and how these things matter. But the reality is, that's not what Paul is talking about here. Throughout Paul's letters, if you look at all Paul's epistles, he, he has this common thread that he weaves through it all when he when he went to your if you remember when he went to the areopagus in uh, uh in greece and he gathered at the marketplace where all the philosophers were and he gathered there with all the philosophers and he said to the philosophers you know i've come to tell you uh i saw this this uh idol to the unknown god and this god i want to proclaim to you and so he proclaimed and he, he preaches this message on the Areopagus, and as he does this message that he lays out for them on the Areopagus, he's going to refer back to that and say, I didn't come to you with wisdom of words, with this idea of, of tricking people by utilizing words to paint a picture or, or to accomplish a goal in a person's life where it's not led by truth, but rather by cunning craftiness. I love to write, and I've always said when, when people are writers, uh, a writer is a painter. I can't paint. I could not draw anything. I can't draw nothing. I don't think I can draw a square or a circle. So when we, when we think about it, but, but writing, writing is painting with words, right? Using words to make a picture. And it's a fascinating thing, but Paul says, I, I don't use cunning craftiness or the trickery of of words to to trick someone into the faith some people come into the faith because of a great argument and here's the problem with that later on they hear another argument maybe that that shoots that argument down and now they're not in the faith and then and then later on they hear an argument to argue that argument and now they're back in the faith again and this is the kind of thing this is the kind of thing i think paul's referring to Sometimes when we discuss with one another, we'll fall into a couple of fallacies. We'll, we'll commit the ad hominem fall, fallacy or the red herring fallacy. <clears throat> ad hominem means that we're attacking the person, not focused on the problem. Red herring means we just bring up something shiny to distract the people onto something shiny. And be, both of these fallacies are used to trick people with words. It's not about being consistent in our study. And sitting down and working our way through the understanding of the text. It's using things to deceive people. Quarreling about words. Using words as a, a way to, to do battle with people. And he says, because of these things, right? They do no good. Nothing good is accomplished. But it ruins the hearers. I, I was watching a thing on... 
YouTube the other day, and uh, you know it. It um, it worries me a little bit. Well, it was this thing that said from Christian to atheist to Christian again, and I thought, well, it's cool that the guy's sharing his story and his journey, but that worries me. Well, what made you flip from Christian to atheist? That's that's a harsh thing. What was it? Somebody's argument. Somebody's argument that said, you know, some some kind of philosophical argument put together to to deny one of the attributes of of God or the possible existence of God. And then later on you hear another argument that says, oh yes, now here's my problem with that. My problem is not that we're engaging over these discussions. My problem is, is your faith in the argument or is your faith in Jesus Christ? Because if my faith is in the argument, later on when there's a better argument, I'm going to bail. Again. If my faith is in the man, if my faith is in the building, if my faith is in my circumstances, all of those things are going to change. The only thing that doesn't change is having my faith in Jesus Christ. And crafty teachers, people who use words to paint, are able to present or quarrel about words in a way that might lead some astray. Ruin the hearers. Why? Because it sounds wise and everybody wants to be wise. Right? Why do we talk about the emperor who, who wears no clothes? Why? What was the whole point of that story? Because only the wise can see the thread, right? Only the wise. And so these guys are taking the king's money and sewing with imaginary thread and making this thing. And, and says, oh, king, we know you're wise. So if you're wise, you can see this. These are the kind of things that Paul's warning Timothy about. And you'll see that, I think, as we continue to go. So we, we want to follow the right method. That means we're not wasting our time in futility or following a, a series of arguments that allows people to put their faith in an argument and not in the truth of Jesus Christ. But rather than that, rather than that, the, immediately the next verse it's, it's rather than a futility of using uh, words in a tricky way, is to have diligent study. Look at it, it says in verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. And we talk about this all the time, right? What is our desire? Our desire is that when we enter into the presence of a holy God, that we hear, when Jesus looks in our eyes, we hear the words, right? Well done, good and faithful servant. Do your best doesn't say, just take it easy and coast. doesn't say, be lazy. It says, do your best. Paul, in another place, would say, run the race to win. And I used to struggle with that, because I'd look at that verse, and I'd say, look, only one person can win. There's only one winner, and everybody else is losers. That's usually how I look at all sports. One winner, everybody else is losers. The number one contender is the first loser because he's not the champion. The Super Bowl champions, number one, everybody else is a loser. So, so what does that mean? Run the race to win. Only one person can win. I don't understand what you mean, Paul. It took me a while to sit down and really chew on scripture. And I began to see what he's talking about is give the effort to win. Because I know how I run a race when I know I'm going to lose. First off, I don't run at all. If a rabid bear is chasing me, I'm just going to lay down and let him eat me. I hate running. 
I did my time in the Marine Corps. I ran three to five miles every day for four years. And I got out of the Marine Corps, as you can tell by the way I look today, I don't run anymore. And when I pass by the mirror, I think, I really should start running again. And then I come to my senses. No, I'm not ever going to run. If I know I can't win, I'm not going to put any effort in. And I think sometimes that's where we as Christians are. But Paul says, no, 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 run the race to win. In other words, put all your effort. Is that how we live out our Christian faith? We put all our effort into understanding what God has told me through his word. To understand what God has revealed to me through his son. We put all our effort to know what the word of God says. Are we putting all our, are we doing our best? We all have occupations and many of us are really driven in our occupation to achieve success, right? Maybe we're the best farmer or we're the best banker or we're the best whatever uh, job that we may have. But the reality is the word of God is challenging us. Do your best. Present yourself to God as one who is approved. I ran the race as hard as I could. Yeah, you know, I'm not as smart as other teachers. I'm not as eloquent as other preachers. I don't, I, maybe I'll never have or never reach out to, to people in the numbers that other, other guys do. That's not important. What's important is am I running as hard as I can to present myself to God? Listen to the next part of this sentence. A worker who has no need to be ashamed. Now, why would we be ashamed? We would be ashamed because we know we did not do what was necessary. <coughs> Excuse me. I always think of, of, uh, I always think of things I can't think of. Um, there's a, there's a movie, Schindler's List. I always think of Schindler's List when I think about this, right? Because <clears throat> at the end of the movie, you know, he's thinking of himself, right? I could have, I could have sold this ring. And got one more person out, right? I could have, I could have sold this watch. And as it was, he, he, you know, basically he spends his whole life to rescue the Jewish people during the Holocaust. But that attitude that he had, right? He's thinking about what more could I have done? What more could I have given? That's a worker who does not need to be ashamed, right? He gave all. Now, what is the all we're to give toward? Look what he's saying. We want to be approved of God. We want to have this attitude in doing what? Rightly handling the word of truth. Rightly handling the word of truth. That's why I say the argument about words is not about, about words out of the, of, out of the word of God. It's not, it's not talking about arguing over, over doctrine. It's not talking about working our way through all of these practices because in the immediate, immediately in the next verse, he challenges us to rightly handle the word of God, which requires what? Diligent study. There's no magic wand. Some, sometimes people treat the Holy Spirit like it's pixie dust. And that you're sprinkled with the Holy Spirit and now I know everything. No, you don't. No, you don't. How is it that I come to know anything? I am led by the Spirit to diligent study of the Word of God. Diligent, turning it over, digging it up, coming to the Word of God to comprehend and to understand and to know things. So if I want to do this, if I want to handle the word of God correctly, the word here means to cut straight. 
So I want to handle the word of God in a right way. That means I want to, I want to have straight cuts. I want it to, I want the things I do to make sense. Now listen, I want to have a straightness of speech, not worldly wisdom, not speech tricks. I just want to know the nuts and bolts. It's so interesting to me when you consider all this, because listen, most people, when they think about Paul, they think about some, some kind of crazy, amazing speaker. But that's not what tradition tells us. The crazy, amazing speaker was Barnabas. You remember Barnabas? He started with Paul. Paul was the guy, the nuts and bolts guy. Paul was the guy, <clears throat> if Barnabas didn't teach, they'd say, oh my gosh, Paul's preaching. Oh, uh, you know what that means. We're going to go over. Yeah, did you hear what happened to him the other day? He preached so long, a dude fell asleep and died. And then he went down outside, all the people gathered around the dead guy. People are looking at Paul like, this is why you don't preach, this is why you don't do long services. All the people today would be saying, 30 minutes, that's all anybody can handle. Paul preached all day. A guy fell asleep and died, hitting the ground out the window. Then Paul went over to him, laid hands on him, raised him from the dead, and said, I'm not finished yet, and brought everybody back in and continued to teach. Paul was a teacher. Paul was somebody that wanted people to comprehend the word of God. He didn't use speech tricks. He was, it wasn't about being entertaining. He didn't have all the best jokes. That was Barnabas. But Paul rises to the forefront, not because of his eloquence, not because of his gifted speeches that he's able to give, but because he holds fast to the word of God and the sound doctrine. And so he wants us to drive ourselves to a correctness of meaning. Meaning, <clears throat> when we come to the word of God, we want to know what the author meant. Usually this is where we start when we come to the word of God. We come to the word of God and we say, well, I think this means this for me. Okay. But you just did the last step as the first step. So first you need to know what the author's intent was. And the way we get to the author's intent is by intense observation. <clears throat> what is the author saying? Why do I think this is the author's point? What all is in here? Let's take all the pieces out. And a lot of people say, oh my gosh, this is so boring. It's not boring to something you want to know. When... When I was falling in love with my wife, I wanted to know everything about her. Favorite color, favorite food, how can I bless her? What, what I want to know every, the thoughts that she was thinking. I want to listen to her voice. This is why so many marriages struggle because that's how we start. And then somewhere along the line, we don't care about those things anymore. This is what the Bible means by, by leaving your, your first love, right? That we want to hold fast to the attitude that says, I want to know you. I want to know Jesus. I want to know the things he said. I want to understand and comprehend these things. I want to take the time it takes to get down into the text and observe all the things that are there. Why did he say it this way? Why did he lead them in this direction? What are all the parts? That's what it is to observe what was written by our great God and Savior, as he inspired men of old to write down Scripture. We want to be like Sherlock Holmes. You ever watch Sherlock Holmes? There's a, 
I don't even know what it's on, but there's a show, Sherlock Holmes, and one of the things about it is every time <clears throat> Sherlock Holmes meets somebody, you have this break scene, and he's and it's talking about all the things he notices on the person, right? You know what I mean? Like he's got dust here, and he's got there's there his his shoes have this kind of clay or this a hair on his shoulder or whatever. There's all these observations that he makes. And the whole point of that is to say, you know, there's not some, 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 something special about Sherlock Holmes. He's observant. That's how we need to come to the Word of God. And then as we observe, it leads us to our interpretation. I want to know, what did the author mean when he wrote these words? And here's the important part. There can only be one right interpretation of Scripture. There's only one thing that the author intended to get across. So when I have that, it's going to require me to do research. I want to understand. <clears throat> Don't want to assume we know why somebody used a particular word or a particular phrase. Find out. Those are all things that we can know, that we can understand. So we have that one right interpretation. Then we ask the question, now what does this do for me? That's the last step. Not the first and this is what keeps us from error. Interpretation is worthless unless it trains me. It's got to touch my life. It's got to, it's got to drive me to what? What is it that God is laying out for me? This is what he's saying. Put your effort, your best. Run as hard as you can in this area to know the word of God. Most Christians in the church today, many Christians in the church today, are weak because they they don't see the value in understanding the word of God. Now immediately he goes back to the phrase he was beginning in the beginning, where, where he talked about not using these word tricks. <clears throat> he says in verse 16, avoid irreverent babble. Avoid it. Don't get caught up in all that thing. Why? Because it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. There's a way to argue the truth of God's word to stay focused on. I want to understand the truth. And so we are engaging with one another to dig down into this to find the truth. And there's a way where that degrades, that conversation degrades into something altogether different. More and more ungodliness, ungodly attitudes. And when we do that, our talk will spread like gangrene. Now that's not good, right? So the efforts that we're trying to understand and trying to comprehend that, that begins to spread death. And if you study the Proverbs, you know the Proverbs lays out to us two paths in life to walk. One leads to life, one leads to death. One is the path of wisdom, one is the path of the fool. You have all these pictures painted out for us. <clears throat> if our talk is spreading like gangrene, it's spreading death. It's ungodly. It's not ungodly to pursue the truth. It's not ungodly to want to understand and comprehend. It's ungodly when we use vain and irreverent babbling. When we use the word tricks of, of worldly philosophy. And not all philosophy is bad. I love philosophy. It's one of my favorite subjects. But the concept of it is not to, not to use a worldly philosophy or these word tricks or philo philosophical tricks to, <clears throat> to sway somebody to, to your argument. Use the truth. We have the truth. We have the truth that we can hold fast to. Here in, in 1 Timothy 6.20, Paul wrote to Timothy, Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. 
Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. In an effort to be seen as wise, they became as fools. Anytime we set ourselves in the dock, there's a picture of a courtroom, right? The concept is a picture of a courtroom. And we need to make sure we understand every time we come into the courtroom to discover truth, <clears throat> that God is a judge and I'm not. God's a judge. And I, I don't have to convince you. I'm here to, to do a service for the court, for God. So I'm not going to put God in the dock. I'm not going to put me as a, in the seat of the judge judging God. He has delivered unto us truth. Yes, it's presupposed. Some people would say that attitude is circular. I would say maybe, but not viciously circular. But here's the point. It's, it is the truth. The Lord God said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He declared to us, my word, the word of God is truth. I believe God and stand on that. I stand on it and I don't fall into what is falsely called knowledge. I hold fast to what God's word teaches. If I go outside of the word of God and I say, well, the reason why the word of God is true is because of the evidence of the resurrection. Or I go to uh, some other form of evidence and I convince somebody, right, that this is true. My question is, where's their faith? Is there faith in God's word or is there faith in my argument? And then what happens when there's a greater argument? Our faith needs to be, our trust needs to be in God's word, not what is falsely <coughs> called knowledge. Not using word trickiness or logical traps, but rather anchored in the pursuit of truth. Not in winning an argument with cunning. I want to avoid irreverent babble for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Shouting, that's not what he's telling us to do. It'll spread like death. And then he gives us an example. Two guys, Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth. Who have swerved. This is exactly what we're talking about. Hymenaeus, <coughs> Hymenaeus and Philetus, they, they at least had a beginning that was in some way anchored to the truth, but they were swerved. Why? Crafty wordiness. The, the, a crafty uh, argument. Not an argument of truth, but using word trickery to bring something, to, to pull somebody <clears throat> away from what God's word says. And here's what I want you to see. I want you to see this. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have swerved from the truth, saying that the, uh, saying that the resurrection has not happened. Verse 17. And their talk spread like king. Not God's word. And the word of God spread like, no, it says their talk, their argument. It was their words, not God's word. Men drawing disciples after themselves. After their own abilities. Maybe they were eloquent speakers. 
And people just wanted to flock to hear what new thing they had to say. You remember how it ended at the Areopagus? Paul makes this incredible argument for the existence of God and the comprehension of who God is. And he calls them to faith uh, through the res- evidence of the resurrection. He lays all, this thing, all these things out at the Areopagus. And then the people said, you know, let us uh, come back tomorrow for some new thing. Uh, well, there's always got to be something new. Something that, that but that's, not, that's not God's way. God's way is to hold fast to what is true, not what is new. Truth matters. What is it in truth? Not drawing disciples after themselves, but rather bringing people to Jesus. Hymenaeus and Philetus, they're gathering for themselves disciples. And what we're supposed to do is what we see uh, the disciples do early on, which is what? Bring people to Jesus. Don't bring nobody to me. Well, you gotta, you gotta meet <clears throat> Jackie. He's uh, fat with a beard, rides a motorcycle, whatever. Different things you might would say about me. I don't know. There's other guys certainly that people say, "Oh, you gotta meet this guy because of these attributes or these." But what we want to do is bring people to Jesus. Can you meet Jesus? Doesn't who cares about me? I'm the herald. When the herald came walking through town and said. Hey, behind me is this important guy. Nobody was going, except if they're watching a knight's tale. Nobody is going, oh, the herald, oh, the herald. Nobody pays attention to the herald. The herald is the crier. He's walking through town saying, hey, there's someone, some nobility behind me. You need to seek him. You need to know about him, right? That's what the word preach is. To herald Jesus Christ. To point people to him. We know about Hymenaeus in 1 Timothy 1.18. It says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, fight the good fight, hold faith and a good conscience. Now, by rejecting this, some have shipwrecked their faith. By rejecting holding fast to the truth, some have shipwrecked their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander whom I handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. So they got off track. Why? Because they wanted to follow this concept of uh, the desire to be seen as wise. Or the desire to be seen at all. Always makes me nervous when, you know, the advertisement for a church is a picture of the pastor. Man, don't take no pictures of me. It's, it's bad enough you're looking at me on a TV right now. Don't take no, no pictures. Look, it's not about me. The herald is to proclaim Jesus, to paint the picture for him, to use God's word to let us see Jesus more clearly, to know him, the power of his resurrection, to become like him. This is our goal. This is what we want to know. Now, we don't know nothing about Philetus, but what, what we do know about these two men is they were upsetting the faith of some. So you have these incredible blessings. We're experiencing incredible blessings right now. We we have the ability to put our services online so that people can still engage. And, and even if <clears throat> right now, I have no idea, but even if now, you know, the, the service is a little 
buffering at your house, you can come back and watch it later because it will keep the whole service all buffered. You can watch it as recorded rather than as live. This is incredible. But you know what? False teachers can do the same thing. And then we're out there looking for, you know, we want some more Jesus and we land on some guy who, who is doing all the things Paul says not to do. And we come to that guy and we find out, you know, my, it's starting to change my faith. Now, if my faith is being changed by the truth of God's word, that's different. If my faith is being changed by a crafty argument from, uh, uh, put together by a, a herald on TV, that may be different. We want, if the Word of God, whatever the Word of God says, we want to come in line with what the Word of God says. And those are things that we need to dig into and discover. But we don't want to do it because of some crafty word speech. We don't want to see the faith of people uh, being upset. Maybe some of them just like these guys, Hymenaeus and Philetus, who find themselves in the ruination of belief. <clears throat> now named among false teachers so so if we want to do this we want to understand right we want to hold fast to having the right method what's the right method using diligent study and the truth of god's word and not trusting in all these other things to give us the break okay we want to use the right method to be a servant of god but then we also want to follow the right guide well what's the right guide the right guide for us is the word of god we want to follow the word of god there's two specific character, characteristics of that. Look at verse 19. It says, But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So one of the first things that we see, characteristics of following the right guide, that which Jesus Christ has provided for us. This is so incredible because if we consider, right, I, I alluded back to Proverbs, Proverbs being two paths, one path that leads to life, one path that leads to death. I want to make sure I'm on the right path, right? I want to follow the right path. Well, how do I do that? I look at the street signs, look at the road signs, or like the book of Proverbs tells me, or like the word of God broadly tells me. I want to be a man like Paul who can say, I, I did not shun to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Some people have spent their whole Christian life and never read the Old Testament. That's our foundation. Without the Old Testament, the New Testament doesn't stand. We have to comprehend the whole counsel of God. When Paul was speaking, he said, all scripture is inspired of God. That word scripture, he's talking about the writings of the Old Testament. In his time, New Testament was just being penned. Now they also believed in the inspiration of the New Testament. That's not what I'm saying. But he was specifically pointing back to the Old. Knowing the whole counsel of God. Now here's what I hear sometimes. Well, I try to read the Old Testament, but you know, it's boring. And I'll go back to the illustration. When you are in love with somebody, you want to know everything about them. And the stuff that we later on after 50 years of marriage might say that's boring, I don't ever want to get to that point. That's, that's something I have to strive for in my marriage. And even more so, it's something I need to strive for in my walk with Christ. I want to know you, God. Help me understand this. For years, I would read the Old Testament and I would see judgment, 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 judgment. And I, my, my, because that's what my ears tuned for, right? I, <clears throat> I see it, I hear it, I'm, 
<coughs> I find myself focused in that way. Now I hear mercy. Because I spent time with a shovel. Digging into the word of God. I want to comprehend who you are, God. I want to see your long suffering. I want to see your patience. I want to see your care for your people. It's all there. It's all there. It just requires us to be good stewards of the word of God. Well, the first characteristic, right? Personal relationship. The Lord knows those who are his. The Lord knows you if you belong to him. And you ought to know him, right? Lord, what is it that you want from the people? What do you want? In the book of Hosea, Hosea chapter 6, the Lord said, I don't want your sacrifices. I don't want your offerings. I want you to be faithful to me, and I want you to know me. That's what God says in Hosea chapter 6, to know me. It emphasizes a personal relationship, right? Not a relationship we have corporately when we gather together. When we gather together, we gather together for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry that we might accomplish the purposes of God in a lost world. But individually, we are to have a pursuit to know God and be faithful to him. Again, this ties back to the picture of marriage. In marriage, isn't that the same thing we want in our mate? faithfulness and we want them to know us to care about those things i know i i tend to be uh blunt and sometimes my bluntness comes off to my wife as i don't care about knowing her i don't want that i never want that to happen i want i want what comes across my wife to be i want to know you I do want to know what you think, how you feel, what makes you tick. And the Lord uses the exact same picture for us to want to know God in this way, to want to know the Lord. It's a personal relationship. The Lord knows who are his. Lip lip service is easy. I love you, Lord. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say. Oh, I love the Lord and I can raise hands in church and I can praise. But then Monday through Saturday, am I living in sexual immorality? And do you know that's wrong? The Lord knows who we're his. Don't deceive yourself by saying or paying lip service. But know the truth. <clears throat> know the truth. Listen, let everyone who names the name of the Lord, let everyone, let me say this another way, let everyone who confesses the Lord Jesus, let everyone who confesses the Lord depart from iniquity. This is not, everybody wants to make this complicated. This is not complicated. This is simple. This is simple. If you know you are in rebellion against God by currently living in open rebellion to him in sin, and you are confessing the Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, then the word of God says, depart from iniquity. I can't. Uh, The Lord knows. 
If I had a nickel for every time somebody said, we're married in God's eyes. No, you ain't. No, really, we're, we're married in God's eyes. You know, they, they, they like to tell themselves these stories. <laughs> oh, yes, it's all okay because there really didn't used to be any kind of a writ. There was no license back in the day. Are you sure? In fact, the basis of, of marriage that we pull from the Word of God was not that way. It was based on a contract signed by two parties. Crazy. Crazy. That's what the Word of God teaches. Look, everyone who confesses the name of Jesus, I believe in Jesus. I raise my hand in church. I'm praising the Lord, but I'm walking in open rebellion against Him. God says, the Lord knows who are His. The worst kind of deception is self-deception. Where I'm deceiving myself that it's okay. Now, I'm not saying you're saved by your works. I'm saying that if you love Jesus, you won't stay in known sin. And that works for any of us. Right? We won't stay in it. We can't stay in that place. What will we do? We'll turn from it. What does that mean to turn from my iniquity? What word means to turn from? The word repent, right? (laughs) So I repent. I confess my sin. I look to God and I ask him to give me victory over this area of my life. To trust him rather than the wisdom of the world that says I should do it this way. It's no big deal. That's not what God's word would lay out for us. We want to follow the right guide if we want to be a servant of God. And the guide we follow is the word of God. What is the word of God told us? What is the word of God telling us? Being led by the word of God as God's spirit walks alongside us and guides us through these issues. It's funny because I can come down, sit down and I'm reading the word of God and I can hear the Holy Spirit in my ear. (coughs) And he's whispering an issue. I'm reading in the word something about confession or repentance and the Holy Spirit whispers, whatever the thing is, right? Oh, Lord, are you, are you saying I got a thing here? I don't want to make an excuse for it. I want to confess, turn from my sin, and turn toward Jesus. Now, he'll give me victory over that sin. That's what prayer is for, right? He'll give me victory over continuing to fall back. And then I'll confess as many times I need to confess and continue to walk. But I want him to know he matters to me. I don't call him Lord lightly. I call him Lord because he's my king. And I do what the king says. I follow what the king leads out for. So I said there are two characteristics. Personal relationship. Right, We want to know who the Lord is and a resistance to sin. This is what the servant who's using the word of God uh, as his guide does. And then, not only that, but there is a change in life that occurs. Look at verse 20. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Now this is an illustration of the truth he just laid out for us. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Set apart as holy, useful to the master's house, ready for every good work. You understand what he's saying? What he's saying is, look, if you are someone who confesses the Lord Jesus Christ and is wallowing in their own sin, 
then you're a vessel God can't use. You're dishonorable. You're something kept out of sight. It's a dishonorable vessel. How is a dishonorable vessel cleansed? He says, if anyone cleanses himself, how do I cleanse myself? Now, some people want to come to this and say, oh, no, it's not about me. It's about what God does. Oh, no, listen. Listen, this is how you cleanse yourself. What's the Bible tells us? Tell us. 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sin, God, what? Will forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How do you cleanse yourself? You confess to the Lord Jesus Christ. Who cleans you? Jesus does. How do you cleanse yourself? You confess to the Lord. You confess to the Lord and a vessel that is dishonorable can become honorable. You, are, you want to be led by the word of God. We say the word of God is the final arbiter in our life. It has total authority. If the word of God has total authority, if Jesus Christ is your Lord, then follow the things that he says. Be obedient to what God's word lays out. And you can be a vessel of honor, which is clean. Why is it clean? It's clean because it's been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's sanctified and useful. Why? Because Jesus Christ has made it sanctified and useful. It's ready for good works. Isn't that what the word of God declared? For we have been saved by grace. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man would boast. That we want to walk in the works that God has prepared for us beforehand. We want to be the things, we want to fulfill the things God wants us to fulfill. Well, how do we do it? How do I be a good servant of God? I'm a good servant of God when I understand the things that I need to understand. When I recognize the things I need to recognize. That I am utilizing the right method, holding fast to the word of God, not using tricky words to, to win people or to win arguments. And I'm following the right guide because I'm focused on what the word of God says. And I want to say, I want to be in line with that. Not I want to bring the word of God in line with me. I'm crooked. I want to follow the word of God because the word of God, the word of God is straight. I want to do what it does. And so our lives, listen, our lives will change. And what was once a dishonorable life will become honorable because it's submitted to its great God and King. What else does the word do? Look at verse 22. So flee youthful passions and pursue faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. We want to follow the right guide. We want to stay focused on what the Word of God is teaching us to be a good servant. We see a real relationship that resists sin. A change in life occurs. And then we see this command that protects us. Flee youthful passion. i got lots of things I want. I am 55 years old and I have not cured my wanter from wanting. I want things all the time. I <clears throat> have a beautiful motorcycle. God's blessed me. Beautiful motorcycle. My wife and I take, <clears throat> excuse me, my wife and I take long motorcycle vacations every year, go on these incredible rides, see the beauty of God's creation. But it never, it never stops. Every, wherever we stop, if we're on the way and we pull into a motorcycle dealership and I look up, 
I'll see something else. I want. Oh, I like that. Oh, I like that. Oh, I got, I got a wanter that wants things eternally. It's always been that way since I was a kid. I remember walking through the toy store with my mom and I'm a little kid and I would tell mom these things. Maybe you guys have said this. Mom, we're looking through and I'd say, Mom, I, you don't have to give me anything for my birthday or Christmas. Just give me this. But it would only last a week. And then the wanter wants something else. The word of God challenges us. It says, flee youthful passion. Youthful lusts, youthful desires, the things we covet. It says flee it. Don't be driven by it. Turn from it. So I have to remind myself, right? I have to remind myself that the word of God challenges me to be content in whatever state I'm in. Whether I'm in shelter in place or whether I abound. Whether my pantry is full or it's empty. Whether my retirement account exists or has gone the way of the market. It doesn't make any difference. Right? Be content in all things. Whatever I have, it's enough. Whatever God has given me, it's enough. That's all we really need. Flee youthful passion. But he doesn't just tell us what to turn from. Then what's he tell us? Turn toward something, right? So turn away from all those youthful lusts, the things that we covet ever since we were young, right? But we want to walk in the path of wisdom. How do we do that? Pursue righteousness. Pursue righteousness. In 1 Timothy 6.11, Paul, writing to Timothy again, says, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Flee all the garbage of life. Turn your back on all those things. Flee from fear. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee from all those sin that so easily wants to ensnare us. Flee. Turn your back to that. And present yourself to the best of your ability to be approved by God as you pursue righteousness. Is that what your Christian walk looks like? Pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with all those who call on the Lord from a what? Pure heart, sincere heart. <clears throat> a pure heart is one whose word and deed match. Does that make sense? The word and deed match. I say, I confess the Lord Jesus, and my life is in line with what Jesus said, or I am at least giving an effort, right? Or you know the difference between giving an effort to follow Jesus and not following him at all? I got a beautiful black lab at home. And my beautiful black lab is most obedient when it's wearing a shock collar. I never have to shock it. This is the magic. I put a shock collar on that dog... And that dog will follow me wherever I go. I turn around and say, follow me. And there, there she is, just following me. Now, I take that color off. And I say, follow me. And the dog loses its ever-loving mind. And it does whatever it wants. 
It sees a vole or a squirrel or a bird and it's off. And I'm out there hollering, right? Because, because I'm trying to keep the dog from danger. I shared this story with you guys before. My other dog that was hit by a car. <clears throat> I would, I, I'm like, I felt like, I'm like the word of God speaking to a rebellious sinner and I'm, and I'm shouting always, come back, come back here, here, stop. Don't go there. Don't go there because I know the danger in all those places. The dog just sees a squirrel across the street and it runs across the street, but it doesn't see the car coming, right? We're the dog in the story. God is the owner. And he sees all the stuff that's going to take us out. And he says, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And we think, oh, God's just trying to, he's a, the, the eternal killjoy, right? He's going to ruin all my fun. When I take the collar off my dog, he's not even trying to follow me. No, he's not even trying. Pursue righteousness. When we follow Christ. We want to be... <clears throat> We want to be like the animal who's trying, right? I, I'm, I want to be there. Now, I may, <clears throat> I still see my, my black lab follow me and a squirrel runs out. She still wants a squirrel. Her desire for the squirrel didn't go away. And occasionally she'll take off after the squirrel still. The only difference is I have an ability to stop her. God ever used a shock collar on you? The Lord has used a shock color on me. I don't know how many volts it had, but I was had a spark of light shining out of all my <clears throat> off all my fingertips. Man, Lord, you're so mean. Why would you do that? Listen, we want to present ourselves a worker to be approved of God. We want to use our effort to do what? Pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace along with all those who call on the name of the Lord sincerely, who are really following Jesus. Not perfect. None of us are perfect. We still fail. But when we fail, what, is, what, is, what does Proverbs say about a righteous man? A righteous man falls seven times in a day and gets back up again. So it's not that there's no falling. It's that there is a desire to follow him. And I may stumble and I may fall, but, but Jude tells me, Jude 24 and 25, this incredible <clears throat> verse that says, look, now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. And not only that, who will present you faultless before his father. That's what our Lord does. That's what our Lord does. We want to be sincere in our following of him. We want to flee youthful lusts and pursue righteousness. The last thing we're going to look at is we need to have the right focus. Why do we do all these things? Okay, we, we want to have the right method. We're holding fast to God's word, not, not some kind of trickiness, right? We're making an effort to know. We're making an effort to understand. We want to do all those things in truth. We want to follow the right guide, holding fast to the word of God. We want to do that, but we need the right focus. Why do we do all this? Why? Paul, Paul is going to tell Timothy, why is this important? To be a servant of God. This is what we do. To be a servant of God, this is what we do. We need the right focus. What's our right focus? Our right focus is to eliminate strife and to encourage repentance. To eliminate strife. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. Now you and I may disagree on what's a foolish, ignorant controversy. We may. 
But if you ever get in a conversation with me on one of the things that I will think is foolish or ignorant, you'll, you will know. Because I'll say, I don't care. It doesn't matter. It doesn't change. People, people get upset sometimes when I do this, but I probably shouldn't do it now. But I've laid the trap for myself. I'm going to jump in it. When we go to Genesis, you have these horrific examples of godliness or incredible examples of ungodliness on sites between Christians who are arguing between young earth or old earth. So let me just be as abundantly clear as I can. I don't care. Nor does it matter. What is it? What is the point of the first 11 chapters of Genesis? To tell us that it's a young earth? Is that the point? It's not. The first 11 chapters of Genesis teach us some very incredible things. It teaches us that God is a creator of all life. He's a creator of it all. It teaches us about the fall of man. It teaches us about the corruption of man and the rebellion of man. For what purpose? That when we understand those things, we recognize the steps that God takes to redeem man, which lead us to Jesus Christ. You can check them out yourself. Go on to the website, look for young earth creationist or old earth, uh, and they'll, you hear what they call each other. <coughs> Think about the words that Paul said Second Timothy chapter 2 here. About descending into ungodliness. Because we're worrying about things that maybe don't matter. Now you say, well, the word of God is true. If the word of God is true, it's gotta be, it's gotta be this way. <clears throat> Spend time digging in, be fully convinced, and then move forward. Trust that God has the ability to bring your understanding where you need to know. But eliminate strife. We should be able to have a conversation between believers without denying someone's faith because they think it's an old earth and I think it's a young earth. Why can't they be a believer? Eliminate strife. That's the focus of a true servant. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Whoa, what would that say? Does this say be kind to most people? It says be kind to all the people who agree with you. It says be kind to that special group of people that you really get along with. Was that what that says? <coughs> the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. <clears throat> that means doesn't want to just be proven right, getting in a fist fight. But he wants to be kind to everyone. To everyone. He wants to be able to teach. Now you may be sitting down with somebody who disagrees with your view on something. And you might say, well, I don't, I don't know if I want to, I don't want to fall into a foolish, ignorant controversy <clears throat> that only breeds quarrels where we start fighting and, and drift down into ungodliness. But rather what I want to do is be able to teach and be kind. The key to being able to teach is being able to listen. I've watched this happen so many times. <clears throat> Two believers having a vehement 
vehemently opposed uh, in their views, trying to have a conversation and neither one listening to the other. You ever seen that? Each one interrupting the other, speaking over the other, trying to make their point. If you want to be able to teach, you have to be able to listen. Proverbs says it's a fool. It's a fool who answers a matter before he hears it. What's the last thing? Patiently enduring evil. Patiently enduring evil. Literally, this means to endure evil without resentment. Wow. That one's a little harder. That's hard for me. But this is what a real servant does. He has the right focus, right? He's not focused on causing strife. He's focused on peace. He's focused on the truth. He's not using tricky words or turning away from the word of God. But he's not quarrelsome. He's kind. And he's able to teach, I think, because he listens. And he endures evil without resentment. So he doesn't find himself dipping into emotional responses, but rather he's making intellectual responses. So we, we don't want to, we want to eliminate strife. And the last thing we're going to look at, we want to encourage repentance. Look at verse 25. <clears throat> Patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Correcting his opponents with gentleness. Able to stand on what, you know why people get angry in arguments? Because they don't really know what they're saying. And we feel stupid. And so we respond in anger. Because we haven't proven ourselves to be a workman who's giving his best effort to understand and know God, to rightly divide, handle the word of God. But rather we, we begin to grow anger, angry and we're not able to correct our opponents with gentleness. What if it takes more than one conversation? What, what if it takes ten conversations? What if the first ten conversations doesn't get any better? Does the word of God say, well, just stop trying to correct them? The scripture would lay out for us, right? We want to watch a man who causes division. If he causes division, we try once, twice, and then have nothing else to do with him. But that's not a brother who wants to understand, comprehend. We want to correct. We want to take the time to correct them with gentleness. That God may perhaps grant them repentance. This is always my prayer. Always my prayer when I'm talking to an unbeliever. I'm praying in my mind while I'm having a conversation. And I think somebody's wrong or somebody is in need of repentance. God, grant them repentance. What's that mean? Grant them a heart that wants to repent. You know God's able to do that, right? God's able to harden a heart. God's able to soften a heart. God's able to grant repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. This is our goal, right? The goal not to win the argument. The goal is to encourage repentance. For what purpose? That they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. I want to be a good servant of the Lord. And Timothy wanted to be a good servant of the Lord. So Paul said, here's how we are. This is how we do it. We have the right method. Not a, a, a futile method utilizing tricky words. We follow the right guide, holding fast to the word of God. We have the right focus. And the focus is not to bring about strife, but to bring about repentance. Amen? Why don't you pray with me?
Father God, we thank you for this time where we can study your word. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather, though uh, separated by some distance uh, currently. Lord, I pray that your word would accomplish its purpose in our life. We would put our faith and trust in what you have delivered to the saints from the saints. That we might know you. That we might walk in the power of your resurrection. That we might be conformed into your image. Transformed by the renewing of our minds. Because we hold fast to the truth of your word. God, be glorified in this place as we submit ourselves to you. And may we be men and women who confess (coughs) the name of Jesus Christ in truth. In Jesus' name. Amen.